This is James M. Ward here, and D&D experts like myself love listening to the Save or Die podcast because I learn something new every time I tune in. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to Save or Die. Back to a real episode this time. Real. Episode <laughs> 12, where we're talking about gods. Gods, gods, and, and more gods. More gods than you can shake a, a penultimate truth at or something. Little G anyway. God, little G gods. Yeah, little <laughs> G gods. Little G gods. We're not going there. Or not much, anyway. Anyway. Uh, the official representative for the Church of Subgenius, DM Mike here. <laughs> and with us is the official Cincinnati representative of Campus Crusade for Cthulhu, GM Wampler. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Sorry, Wampler. <laughs> what a creep. What a creep. <laughs> Don't make and me wake an elder god on your ass. <laughs> again? No, anyway. And the lady who spends so much time playing clerics, I wouldn't be surprised if she actually was at this point, DM Liz. Hello. Where's that cure of light wounds here? Uh, something like that. Something like. So, are we ready to tackle the, a nice safe topic on Cyber Die? Like oh, sure. Peace and worship and stuff? <laughs> okay, cool. But first, we have a basic impressions. Hi there, Mike, Liz, and Jim. This is DMT Man from Pennsylvania. And I was calling in reference to your most recent show where you had, um, you were talking about the Red Box and you had uh, DM Mikey or Mikey, the fellow who did some singing also and the comedian on um, as a guest host. And one thing that was touched on, um, you know, he was kind of hard on the, the Mensa Red Box. And one of the things that he was very hard on was those early levels saying that, you know, at that point, you don't have a lot of survivability. You don't have a lot of spells. Thief skills aren't too good. Uh, clerics don't have too much at first level. And, and that's why he, I think he was mostly hard on that um, in his review and giving it a little bit of a low marks. Um, and, of course, that's his opinion, and that's fine. But one thing that I thought about was, you know, the lethality of those early levels really is a good topic and really something to, um, to tackle in terms of the basic D&D. A lot of people think it's really, really too lethal at that level. Now, I should say as a, a caveat here, I'm not very lethal as a DM. I really, I hate to kill characters, and I kind of follow the TV show format, you know, where the main characters never die. And that may be a fault of my DMing, that this may be a fault or something I need to rethink or will rethink in the future. You know, maybe I don't give enough... Um, tension to the evening, you know, where the characters actually could die, because usually I... I kind of wimp out a bit and they, and they don't 
So, well, let's look at that lethality just a little bit here. Some people might say that it's a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature of um, classic D&D, and it would be, the same would be true for first and second edition. Um, there's a few ways to go around about it. You might make multiple characters and see who survives. Um, for what I understand, Dungeon Crawl, Crawl Classics does this, that you roll up a bunch of characters and you see who makes it. Um, and perhaps the most important thing is the features. It really does promote caution. You know, if you don't have a lot of hit points, you're going to be very, very careful and you're going to learn how to approach situations maybe, you know, without rushing in and hacking and slashing right away. So in that way, it may be a feature. And another thing too then, because at those early levels you don't have much, you know, maybe you appreciate when you do start to get the spells and you do your skills start to bump up. Sort of like if you grow up poor and you, you, you get something, you maybe appreciate that a little bit more than if you had to kind of have everything given to you versus if you have to earn it. So um, in that way, it might be a feature. Now, for those folks who think it's a bug, I would say, too, there are some workarounds. You know, you can still play classic D&D and work around that lethality at the early levels. Um, some simple fixes are that you get maximum hit point to start. Uh, I believe old school Chris, who's on the boards, he gives folks their constitution score when they start. Uh, now, they don't get that later, but that's their starting hit points is their con score, and it goes up from there. Uh, later editions have their own formula. I think one of them, it's like 10 plus your con bonus or something. Um, but of course, we're not too worried about that on this program. Now, my workaround for that is that I start my games at third level. That way, I have they have some hit points, they have some spells, clerics have some things, thieves maybe have at least a little bit percentile, although that doesn't really pick up too much, um, at least not for a while. So that, And that's my workaround third level. I could be wrong. I may be missing something by not having my players go through those early, very lethal levels. I'm just saying that right out there. I could be wrong on this. And one thing, too, uh, was mentioned is there is the other end of the spectrum. Well, what about high levels? And you mentioned this on the Magic Users show, uh, which was a few shows ago. I don't remember the number. And I kind of do the same thing. I think Mike mentioned that he likes to do this. I tend to start my campaigns over at about levels 12 to 14. At, the, at that level, your spellcasters, your elves, uh, your mystics or, or monks, they're just starting to get really powerful. Um, you know, we had a mystic last in our last campaign, a monk, and he could take out almost anything in a couple of rounds. So, you know, and again, I don't know if that's the best approach either. It's, it's kind of what I've been doing, but I know some folks prefer to just keep on going with the same character maybe as long as they can, or they feel like, well, if you're ending early you know, at level 12 or level 14, maybe they're not really getting to experience those high, high level um, adventures. And maybe for myself, I needed to just throw more at them in those high level adventures. So those are some thoughts on lethality and the different levels. So I'd really be real grateful to hear what Mike and Liz and Jim think. And take care, folks. Thanks, Teeman. Well, who wants to take this first? <laughs> well, I have one thing I have to get out of my system up front. Yes? Team and grow up here and man up, Buttercup. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I, I, I kind of know where he's coming from as where it can, it can be hard to kill characters, especially right out the gate. You know, they first, you know, your players have first started playing 
you know, they're not quite sure what to expect, and especially if you wind up killing them their very first game session, it can be kind of traumatic for them, especially if they're kind of young, too. So I, I've been there. I've felt, you know, oh, I don't really want to. The Buena Skellington. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm, I, I'm partially a victim of the time and uh, era I learned to play in because my very first DM, Lonnie Barnett, you know, in the Baptist Student Union at the University of Kentucky, he's like, okay, first thing we do is create characters. Roll up two. And I'm like, why am I rolling up two? And he's like, you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and as far as talking about power levels and everything, yeah, I will freely admit that when we were in Mississippi, we never really played it like this, but the original D&D, the idea was if you were having power level problems, hire hirelings to back you up, you know? That was that was to compensate for low power levels or that sort of thing, you know? And just run a first-level adventure. Well, I've always preferred low-level, playing low-level characters. And it's kind of like what he talks about, you know, being appreciative of powers and goodies at higher level when you start out with nothing. I've always found it far more interesting to try to solve the problems and do the thing when you don't have so much to work with. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean... Ev- Obviously, I want to sit down and play a magic user who already has lightning bolt and fireball. But when we were playing that basic game that uh, Angry Monk ran, mm-hmm. what happened when that uh, evil wizard we were up against chucked the invisibility potion? I mean, I'm sitting there with a cleric or whatever with no no spells that were going to do anything. So I just grabbed <laughs> a handful of dirt and threw it where I last saw him. You know, that kind of creativity uh-huh. will serve you well even later at the higher levels. Yeah. Um, if you'll forgive me a little cross cross-promoting here roll for initiatives uh, mini adventure five um they talked a bit about uh, the subject was zero hit points meaning death and sal made a great point over there that when death is that immediate you get creative true you know it's whereas you know if you think you can well i got to neg five or neg 10 or vince even mentioned a neg 20 at one point wow I don't even know what to think of that, but well, and that this is about playstyle preference. I, you know, I don't have a dog at that hunt. If you want to run your campaign and your group has fun playing a certain way, I'm all for it. I'm just expressing my own personal taste and playstyle preferences. Yeah, and I will say that as a DM, I have occasionally had trouble killing a character, not because I'm necessarily reluctant to kill a character. But it's like I have this plan to make that character's life a living hell. <laughs> nice. And if they die, I can't do it. So I, it really kind of puts me in a, in a conundrum here because it's like, but but I have all these plans to totally mess up her psyche. You know who I'm talking about, Liz? I have no idea who I'm talking <laughs> about. Um, but I don't want her to die. On the other hand, in classic D and D, death isn't the end, you know. Even low to mid-level characters can eventually scrape up the cash for a resurrection. Right, and dragging the body back to get raised is a whole adventure. Why would you deprive yourself of that? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's one other... Th- Teeman, I, I loved your basic impression, so don't get me wrong. Um, uh, your points uh, were eruditely expressed. I wanted to uh, defend Mikey Mason. 
a little bit too since that came up in the basic impressions only because uh Tiemann mentioned it and the boards got all fired up about it from the red box episode i'm intrigued that people heard mikey come completely down on some of their favorite versions of basic D&D when he spent the vast majority of the episode singing its high praises and talking about all the nostalgia he had wrapped up in himself beginning with Redbox D&D. Well, I think you could hear we I think we were all just kind of going, "Huh?" Yeah, so there <laughs> at the wound up giving it such a low score. It's like, "What?" <laughs> but I, you said. <laughs> I, I think what happened there at the end is I mean, Mikey's a stand-up professional stand-up comedian. And so I think he just took a uh, arbitrary uh, position trying to be funny and I and I actually did think it was funny but Mikey and I are friends which is both why I want to defend <laughs> him and uh, I have that understanding which listeners might not have well I mean he, he wrote a song about the, the game he can't think that poorly of it and I did kind of wonder if he was doing that more just for the notoriety than, than anything else but I was going to say from a purely marketing standpoint you know, the saying goes, there's no such thing as bad publicity. A lot of people talked about Mikey Mason, and I would be very interested to see, you know, how much extra traffic did he wind up getting to his website and stuff after that. You know, it's it's not it do, not going to hurt him. <laughs> and by the way, Mikey, if you're listening, and I know you are, I give you a shout out to, to Alex Conner of GameholeCon. So <laughs> I gave you, I, I put in a shot for you. So thanks, Demon. Uh, yeah, yes. thanks, Demon. Um, I, I kind of know where he's coming from, though. But again, the higher you know, he was saying, he started people off around third level, which I find interesting because when I was playing first level five E, that's exactly how I, the type of character I felt I was running. It was a third level character, but if you're running adventure, you know, yeah, you're third level, you can do more, but you're also probably going to be facing bigger monsters, so. It's really a psychological thing. Everything's going to scale at, to a minimum. Again, like you said, if, it's, if it works for you, then you know, you're doing it right for your game and your, your people. And, and thanks for name-checking DCC, because DCC makes having two hit points and trying to survive a dungeon fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, when you have the funnel, you got to have fun. What's the... <laughs> hey, fun... It's right there in the, in the null. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just uh, before we head to our commercial break, as it were, before we get into talking about deities and that sort of thing in classic, I uh, just wanted to mention a couple of things. I had recently found a couple of new podcasts I want to give shout-outs to. One's called Going In Blind which is a DM recording an actual play podcast with a group of players uh, playing 5e, and they're all blind. So it's kind of just, you know, as a blind guy myself, you know, obviously I found that interesting how they were getting around handling, you know, dice and that sort of thing. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So that was pretty cool. The other is called uh, Behind the Claw which is a classic traveler podcast, which Robert Fisher was kind enough to send me in when I was a link to it, when I was going on and on and on about classic traveler on the save for half episode. Both will be in the show notes. Good stuff. And we already had a winner on first critical email of save for half, right? Indeed. Indeed. It looks like it's going to be Tony Emel. And I 
reluctantly stating that because I got confused and thought it was just the first email I got. So I sent a copy to Robert Fisher, but it was actually the critical one. So I'll be sending you a copy of Clockwork Crimes very shortly. Well, hey, Probably two winners. That, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. Except, of course, if he needs that, it means he didn't support my Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Now, 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 don't cry, Mike. Don't cry. I, I, I won't. It, it, it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We'll be back after these messages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Thopus the Gnome here. The Save or Die podcast is brought to you in part by a more than generous grant from me. Don't you mean a generous grant by Lesser Gnome Games? Same thing. I pretty much run the joint. And this one too now, come to think of it. Here. Go finish the commercial for me, Knave. You got it. Lesser Gnome Games and Miniatures. Available at RPGnow.com, LesserGnome.com, or at a friendly local game store near you. It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson, is on. Game on! Game on! Game on! Game on! Gaming with deities. Well, not with deities, but dealing with deities from a player's perspective. And I suppose this doesn't have to be a matter of playing clerics or paladins or such like, but, I mean, you can have a fighter or a thief that worships a god or something. As we've mentioned on the show before, when the Mincer series, classic D&D, came out and then later Rules Cyclopedia, high vents, they got away from the idea of deities and went more to that, um, was it Disciplines of Truth or something like that? How have you guys, uh, whenever you've played characters that had gods, how much did you ever get into them or not? Or were you like a cleric that just kind of, I worship the god of... (laughs) I always liked picking out a god for my cleric to worship, and generally I would try to make that choice make sense for my character's personality, etc. Or I would choose the god and then I would model the character's personality around that, thinking, well, someone who would worship X would probably be someone who would act this way. Um, so it, it was, it was a, a choice that was thought out one way or the other. Jim? I know because this podcast is about classic D&D. We're, of course, going to talk about the supplement gods, demigods, and heroes. Or, uh, is it going to be okay with you if we also uh, speak to deities and demigods? Oh, As sure. it was published in 1980 when uh, 
before Molday Cook. So even well, Holmes told you, 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 you <laughs> from here you go to AD&D. I was going to say, Holmes said all over the place, go to AD&D, go to AD&D. So <laughs> one could debate how rational that was with the rule systems. But Nevertheless, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what he told you to do. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked is because in the uh, preface to Deities and Timmy Gods, Gary lays out the whole reason why this is the fourth hardback AD&D book. And they were trying to solve two problems. One was uh, improper play by Gary's metrics of Dungeons & Dragons by just kind of glossing over and ignoring the source of divine power that the clerics all got. And then, of course, the second one was uh, the wild and woolly gaming of the 70s where, yo, we, we went to Valhalla and slayed Odin, you know. Yeah. I think Tim Cask ranted about that at the in the forward to Gods, Demigods, and Heroes. Right, right. Exactly so. And uh, that was my personal experience because when I started, it was OD&D graduating to AD&D for the DMs that were running for me in my first group, that Lonnie guy I was just talking about. When we mm-hmm. started playing... Um, we just sort of glossed over it, and it wasn't really important to gameplay where the cleric spells were coming from or who the paladins worshipped or anything like that. Uh, the only thing we were worried about is if we ran into demons or devils, which technically are also DD-level demigods. And uh, the second deities and demigods came out, uh, by that time my brother had started the campaign I played in off and on for almost 20 years, and it suddenly became very important to us where that stuff was coming from. Yeah. I noticed that when you look at Holmes, for example, both the rule book and uh, Maze of Peril, you know, there are clerics, but they don't really get into deities except for the dark Cthuloid-esque deities that obviously the orcs or creatures in the dungeons are worshipping and are abominations and must be destroyed, Finger, you know, fill in the blank. Hmm. But yeah, there's no real – it's – you know, you, you end up with the stereotypical pseudo-Catholicism, you know, nonspecific Christian denomination of clerics in original D&D. And I only say that because, you know, your holy symbol, it's a cross. <laughs> you don't buy a holy On symbol. You all the Grenadier minis it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in the early, early day, they didn't worry about that. But then, you know, when God's demigods, and of course in Dragon Magazine, they were originally running some of those pantheons that eventually showed up in God's demigods and heroes. And I remember, it may have been Tim Cask again, but somebody was grousing about how, you know, getting letters from D&D fans in the 70s going, yeah, when are you going to publish uh, another pantheon? My character needs to, some more XPs. <laughs> Oh, like, really? In the Finnish portion of God's Demigods and Heroes, um, he's talking about, you know, and for those out there in D&D land that like ordering gods around, this is your piece of cake. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, ow. Yeah. I kind of asked Jim Ward one day, what's up with the Finnish and Celtic deities? Because they're in both both books. And, um, I mean, compared to, you know... If you read Marvel Comics, the Norse gods. If you went to school at all, the Greek gods. Very popular, th- you know, pantheons. But the Finnish deities and the Celtic deities are in both books. Yeah. I can kind of see Celtic, but yeah, Finnish is really kind of out there. And there's a certain degree of overlap, but... Uh. I wonder if it's because there were so many interesting magical items connected with those stories. Could be. 
Well, I know or Jim maybe... is a big uh, mythology buff, but his main area of interest is Egyptian mythology. He loves the Egyptian pantheon. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Egyptian uh, pantheon goddesses in proper outfits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, sure. Sure, sure. Maybe yeah. it was Rob Koontz. Maybe he was the, the Finn. <laughs> maybe, maybe. As a running cleric, so you never really worried about it, Jim? In the early days, no. Um, I, me personally, I didn't pick – clerics are my second favorite class to play today, but I never ran anything besides magic users and the odd uh, elf fighter mage back in the day. Hmm. I mean, once my brother fired up his campaign and the gods were taking an active role, there were interactions. But, I, you know, my magic user was always carefully uh, agnostic. <laughs> uh, I used to play the occasional cleric. But, yeah, I mean, we would go through G, D, and H or deities and demigods. But it was more just, okay, did you choose a god? Yes. Okay. And other than maybe occasionally shouting their name as charging into battle, it really never, you know, most of the groups I was in never really played played it up that much. Um, certainly not in high school. It was a bit better when I was gaming with the older guys. So then that, that brings interesting points. So does Mincers getting rid of it really inhibit D&D then? I mean... It bugs me. I'll freely admit it. I don't like it. But, you know, just thinking about it now, objectively, did it make, would it have made a lot of difference to actual play styles in the late 70s? Well, I think if you were used to using gods already, if you went to Mincer, it would have been pretty easy to just stick them back in. Yeah. And- it's a different game. I mean, Gary, Gary's whole point in the preface to DD's Demigods is this is an integral component of D&D, and it's not Gary Gygax D&D without this. Now, today, we have all the versions to look at, so if you, you know, for whatever reason decided, I want my campaign to be Pantheon-less, I had a hard time making that word, um, <laughs> and you go to Menser and have at it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh Unless there's anything else we want to talk about from the player's angle, shall we go into DM Fiat? Mm, sure. thought we were going to have a bigger ex- <laughs> discussion there, but it was like, ah, oh, it's gone. I thought you were going to ask us our best and worst deity stories as a player. That's kind of what I thought I was asking. I, I didn't get that. I have, right. I, have a, I have an interaction with deity story as a player. Okay. <clears throat> well, have, cut that prior crap out then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sniff, Jim. Sniff, sniff. Tell me your best and worst story for uh, interacting as a player dealing with de- deities. Um, I'll try and condense so this doesn't turn into a long-winded character story. But best and worst is both the <laughs> same. Um, my uh, magic user, my brother's universe, had gotten up medium level, but uh, thanks to an unlucky draw from the deck of many things, had the earned himself the major enmity. Is that the way you say it? Enmity. Enmity. Yeah. Of a major devil. And um, my brother, at a very young age, because I'm not sure he'd even graduated high school at this point, turned that on me and made me paranoid. And I got this berserk, paranoid idea that I entirely created myself that Asmodeus was after Midas the Mad. And went to, got so paranoid about it that went to the uh, wizard I was apprenticed to who was higher level and had the spell and had a clone, used a clone spell to create a copy of myself 
take half my magic items, which included the Staff Elemental Command, and leave them with the clone and lock him up in stasis in case Asmodeus popped up and grabbed my character. This is this In is case pl- of death, break glass. Player Ingenuity 101. <laughs> what were we just talking about? Kill my character? I don't care. I've got a backup copy, right? <laughs> and... Uh, and then uh, got a job uh, managing the Vanderbilt Domino's Pizza in Nashville and, and left my brother's campaign for over a year. And while I was gone, that clone woke up uh, and, according to the AD&D rules, uh, knew, I, knew my original character existed, went insane, went to the opposite to alignment, you. which was lawful evil, and became a stooge for Asmodeus and started, oh, no. and started hounding down our players with the Staff Elemental Command. And they didn't recognize him because it had one of those artifact things where it makes your arms all bone, no skin. And, and they called him Lefty. <laughs> so he was kind of like... Asmodeus's Darth Vader. He ended up marrying Glacia and having a half-devil kid that was the anti-paladin I played for my brother just to help him out by playing an NPC. But oh, uh, I yeah, by the time I got back to the campaign with my main character, they're all trying to hunt down this insane evil wizard named Lefty, and I and nobody <laughs> even knows who it is. And and we, we got a, a year or two of the campaign out of just trying to track that guy down and nail him because I, I I had him polymorphed into a turtle in my hands and something happened and I lost him. It was crazy. Well, I will not condone evil characters doing anything yeah evil of any type or 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 color but um gotta admit uh glacia was hot <laughs> if you'll forgive the pun <laughs> <laughs> well is do you have a story oh gosh um well i i sort of do but i don't know if i want to tell it <laughs> <laughs> tell it tell it liz <laughs> Okay. Um, if you can't tell it in front of thousands of listeners of Save or Die, who can you tell it to? Oh, yeah. that No one. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Well, first off, I'm going to have to start off the story by admitting that I did have a drow character at one point. You naughty girl. Yes. Um, and she was, you know, kind of pseudo dritzed you know did not like living down in i can never pronounce the name of that drow city the one with 15 syllables they send you <laughs> yeah anyway um say, say it louder mike i couldn't hear you that's good <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> so she leaves goes to the surface and just to be totally pissy decides that, you know, she's going to be a cavalier and worship the goddess Meliki, the goddess of the forest. Speaking of Finns. Speaking of the Finnish gods. Wow, this may be the first time I've ever heard the Finnish gods used. Yeah. In my campaign world, uh, Meliki is like the the major goddess of good in the world. Sweet. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so... She is a follower of Meliki, just to thumb her nose at all the rest of her race. And she's going around being a cavalier, getting the fancy... Being a paladin now. No, 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 no. She insists she is not a paladin. (laughs) Yeah, you hold Um, on to that. But that's the story part, because Meliki has taken an interest in her and is determined to make her into a paladin... And her opinion of the whole matter is, you do remember 
what I am, right? <laughs> it's like oh, lawful, I am not. <laughs> two quick clarifications here. One, the Drizzt comparison isn't that good because um, well, she Talia doesn't, doesn't cry in her beer all the time. Yeah, about she doesn't her life. go around moping about, oh, I'm a drone, I'm on the surface, and I'm all alone. She's like, oh, grow up. You know, <laughs> you know. Life sucks. Move this, on. Life this, sucks. It is what it is. Let's let's move on. Am, am I picking <laughs> up correctly on this took place in Mike's universe? Yes. So, so the part of the story I'm really interested in is did Mike penalize your character experience levels when you switched alignments? Yeah. <laughs> I actually started out low level, so yeah, there wasn't which much is, to penalize. This was the other part of the clarification I was going to make. Liz had originally, her character had gotten whacked or something in the part, and she was coming up with a new character, and I was figuring out a way to introduce her. And she had rolled up an elf cavalier, because this was AD&D at the time. And I was trying to think, you know, how can I introduce... And I used my... I, I came up with a system for my own system for generating high-level characters at the spur of the moment, though I think she was only like fourth, not very that high at all, but we were rolling uh, magic items, and she ended up getting a hat of appearance. And I was, we were thinking, like, well, why would she have a hat of appearance? And then it, I clicked, I, ooh, Liz, make her a drow. That's why she would have a hat of appearance. <laughs> not because you're my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Wife. Oh, okay. But yeah, no. I, yeah, so, otherwise it's like, so I have this hat that makes me look like whoever I want. Why would wow. she have that? You know? Why would an elf cavalier have that? That makes no sense. <laughs> what could she possibly be trying to hide? Oh. And then later we you know, just, you know, doing some... Uh, character development everything developed the entire backstory and then you know maliki maliki was following her around trying to give her lots of trouble so did you go for it go for what did, did liz did, you, did did the character become a paladin a lawful paladin um the last time i played her and <clears throat> kind of stopped in the middle of the story she's wielding an olden el old elven blade that was sentient and was riding a unicorn. What do you think? <laughs> she she's still in denial though. It's like yeah. I'm. It's like I am a cavalier. <laughs> I am not a paladin because <laughs> it is inherently impossible for me to be one. <laughs> ah. So yeah, she. If I pick her up again for any reason, she'll probably continue to be in denial for quite some time until she's forced to come to terms with the fact that yeah, she's a paladin. See, at the, at the start, you seem reluctant to tell the story as though it were embarrassing and as you're telling it, I'm like, I don't get it. There's nothing embarrassing about that. That sounds like a cool character. Until you got to the unicorn. <laughs> See, that is embarrassing. But now I get know, it. I, you know. But again, Liz didn't ask for that. I, I did she didn't want that. that. I inflicted that on her. <laughs> I did not ask for a unicorn. She did not. I think, in fact, your your reaction when the unicorn came up was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> a yep. unicorn mount down where I come from, we call that flirting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, where she comes from, they probably call it dinner. But, you know. <laughs> My only... I, I, 
I, my most of my stories for using deities, as you can imagine, is for, as a DM. Um, the only real character ones I'll mention is again playing it with the Delta Area War Gamers. If you've read any Fritz Lieber's Fawford and the Gray Mauser, that's how he played his gods. Even the quote unquote good ones were likely to screw you. And and leave you, you know, in major trouble. So the whole idea, even clerics, you called on the gods as little as possible. Just lay low and hope they don't notice you. <laughs> right, right. Because especially when you try to any high-level spells, then it's like, well, why should I do this for you? Because I've been a good character and I have a high charisma? No, no. You got to role play it. Come on. <laughs> I'm 13. What do you want? <laughs> See, that's good adventuring right there. There's a, a player in my campaign named Nikki who plays a techno mage who's got a patron AI, and she's invoked him like three times now, and she knows there's a bill coming due. <laughs> and the longer I wait to, 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 to serve the bill, the more worried she gets about it. It's awesome. <laughs> Your cyber brain's uh, bill is now ready to be viewed. <laughs> Log in to see what you're what you owe. Oh, hey, that's good. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> you have mail. All right. Well, anything else, or shall we move on to DM Fiat and talk about it from the DM's chair? Ah, oh, let's move on. Let's Fiat. The time has come, as I promised. The time. When I reveal to you, my loyal followers, the key to creating hysteria, fear, God. Fiatting. Here we are. Fiatting our DMness. I used to drive a Fiat when I was about this age. We were playing D&D. <laughs> I could spell fiat when I was playing. Ah, anyway. mm. uh, DMing as gods. Now, the first thing I have always heard from at least one player in every group that I've had anything to do with is DMs just use gods as a hammer to either beat down the player characters or make them go directions they don't want to and to railroad them. Discuss. Uh, grow another pair of buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> How many pairs do you have to have? <laughs> or is this a funnel too? <laughs> well, I mean, you either like your DM and trust your DM or you don't. And I, assuming that... I mean, sometimes the, it's not like that because sometimes you're all getting together to game for the first time or the first few times, you know? Well, if you're familiar with fantasy tropes at all, so many times... A deity of some kind is the initial force that puts things into motion. Which is exactly my argument. Not to, it's kind of hard not to do that sometimes when you're trying to go for a specific feel to your campaign. You know, and to give a sense of what's going on is really serious because even the gods are paying attention, you know. You 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 want to use them to you know give a sense of what's happening. 
Exactly so, and that's the real argument for including deities in a standard D&D campaign. Not because Gary Gygax said so. Why did Gary Gygax say so? Well, Gary Gygax said so because it's all throughout the appendix in literature that inspired the game. Like you were just talking about, Mike. Yeah. To try and get through Lankmar without a deity. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Elric of Melnibone, or Melnibony, I never figured out how to pronounce that. But, you know, he was constantly getting jerked around by Ariok and... You know, the other guy by Zyambarge and all that sort of stuff. I mean... Put a bookmark in that for when we get to random encounters and pick your favorite deity. <laughs> Put a bookmark in that one right there. Which one? We'll, we'll, never mind, we'll get there. We'll find out. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, that being yeah. said, I know people have used them as, you know, very clumsy hammers, you know... I, th- I think it is a valid argument that there have been DMs that when things were not going the way that they envisioned in their heads, you know, decided to, you know, very clumsily try to force things by, you know, bringing in a god for no apparent reason. Um, I think anything has the ability to be abused. Um, but that's, that doesn't mean that there is no place for using gods. Yeah, I mean, the same argument is you can use for any type of you know they're, they're the same people that say you can't do a mystery adventure you know because otherwise you're railroading people I'm like no not necessarily but there has to be a certain path otherwise you can't get to the crime you know well right <laughs> and, a good or even competent dm is only going to use deities to further the gaming experience and the plot i mean you're talking about liz the bad dms where if pushed in a corner, they lose their temper, and suddenly Thor shows up and hammers everybody. Literally. Yeah. Although talking about the the fiction, and I kind of you know lump Greek and Norse mythology into that. Can an argument be made for sufficiently high level characters go gunning for a god? Well, according to Gary Gygax. Uh, in the preface and some of the text that you can tell he wrote, even though Jim Warden Rob Kuntz are credited with the decent enemy gods, he addresses that directly. And I think maybe even Tim did in the preface to uh, Gods, Demi Gods, and Heroes. If a character reaches a sufficiently high enough level to begin to treat with the deities, that character should ascend to Demi Godhood and be removed from play as an NPC. That's, that's, that's Gary's solution to that. Otherwise called retirement. <laughs> right. Yeah, but of course, players don't want to do that, especially, well, I know back when, especially when we were in high school, nobody wanted to do that. He's like, no way, man, I want to keep playing. I want to blow up planets. Well, right, but but the instructions Gary gives is is that, okay, now now that character's been raised to a demigod, he's a messenger of and a minion of his deity. So that would be a real boring <laughs> character to play, just running messages around. True, true. The outer planes. <laughs> but then, okay, I guess then that takes the other argument. Do gods even need stats? I Do they always, need an armor class, hit points? Uh, I've always taken, well, I won't say always, because when I first started playing and running the game, it didn't occur to me. But after, you know, some years of doing doing stuff, I have eventually come to the point where I figure those stats, you know, you're base you are killing a physical avatar of the god. You are not actually killing the god. The real quote unquote god, you know, does not have stats. 
and you would need to you would need to do something really really special to fully destroy a god as opposed to just coming up with your magic sword to Mount Olympus and whacking him until he fell down. <laughs> and again, it all falls on the DM. If the DM is competent, you can try that. It's not going to happen. Yeah, or certainly shouldn't. But I guess that was um, second edition did that a D and D when they they then when they did Legends and Lore and stuff. They said no, no, these are just avatars. They're not the actual gods. But then they like halved everything you know now they've only got like 120 hit points or they're like 12th level and like what <laughs> well that idea liz talked about was more or less introduced with deities and demigods the the rules there is it's a prime material form they've killed and depending on how high level of like whether it's the head of a pantheon or just a lower echelon guy is how long they have to go lay up in their home plane before they can manifest on the prime material again in a temptation of players, it expressly says if you back a god up into his home plane, he's got nowhere for his spirit to go, and you can actually kill him. <laughs> but good luck. Which is why then players in, in the games I was in back in high school always wanted to travel to Gamma World. <laughs> Get the cool weapons? Yes. Neutron bombs and <laughs> fusion rifles and stuff. And it was like... Okay, now I want to go hunt a god. <laughs> that totally happened in a Michael Curtis game at North Texas Con. Somebody drew death from the deck of many things, but the guy had a maser rifle, and Mike's going through Labyrinth Lord looking up the rules for death. He's like, doesn't say anything here about immunity from microwaves. Go ahead. You have a chance of killing him. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read Lankmar, but I seem to recall that the character of death there, that uh, Fawford and Grey Mauser they didn't kill him, but they gave him a real run for his money. Well, Elric kills Ariok, so it's not like it's yeah. unprecedented in the Pendix in the literature. Uh, and to mention a newer series that I'm aware, you know, some gamers poo-poo as being really fluffy, but I've always enjoyed it. Um, David Eddings's Belgariad, you know, they had to kill an evil god, but to do so... They also had to have the assistance of the other gods, you know, this guy's brothers. And I think if they had not had the assistance of other deities backing them up, you know, they probably would not have been able to do what they did and to change things. Oh, you just reminded me. That first DM, Lonnie, he imported one of those West Coast critical hit tables. And thanks to that critical hit table... We took out Yinagu at a ridiculous, I mean, maybe at fifth or sixth level average in the party. <laughs> All because of that crit table and a lucky roll. <laughs> Clearly, we weren't playing right. But it was fun. Well, it's different when you're killing demons and devils. That's fine. Well, they are kind of like Nazis. I mean, you know, killing Zeus right. and Odin, everybody gets up in arms about. But if you take down Orcus, you get cheers. Yeah. Like, Woo There's no... <laughs> Well, what about Orcus's point of view? Or, you know, <laughs> Yeanug had had a childhood too. You know, no, he's an evil demon and he dies. There you go. <laughs> that that fire that critted Yinagu totally mounted his flail above the fireplace in his hall. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a murder and a fashion statement. That's right. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I think they provide a certain amount of flavor to it. It's to me, it's part of the fantasy flavor of running D and D. 
I will say that a lot of people get really militant, you know, when they decide they're going to play their their cleric or their paladin. They've got to be extremely militant about their god. And I suppose some are like that, but I think, you know, if you think look at most polytheistic pantheons, you know, it's rare to find a cleric of them or a priest or priestess that's militantly missionary, you know? That tends to be limited to monotheistic religion. I'm going to let the joke that's in my head right now just pass on set. Yeah, probably best. Probably best. So, um, and I think in a way that kind of dissuades character people, you know, players for wanting to play clerics or paladins or holy figures because they feel like it's going to be a straitjacket. And I don't think it necessarily needs to be that way. I mean, you know, if you're worshipping Aphrodite, you shouldn't be raising the dead, an undead legion to march, you know. But, you know, on every little thing, you know. She going to take away your clerical powers because you didn't comb your hair this morning? No, come on. That gets back to the whole DM hammer thing, I suppose. <laughs> are we going to talk at all about the other side of this, the people that are uncomfortable running deities in their campaigns for non-game-related reasons? Sure, but before we do, let me just say, before the Lost City, I can't see how you can run that adventure ignoring deities. True. I mean, you can't. That, the, that's the whole point of the sex, unless you just assume that they're worshipping a graven idol that is... Yeah, these people are all nothing. insane. They're all insane, <laughs> which they kind of are, but they obviously get... You know, power and, and abilities from their respective deities. So, and some of them are worshiping the demon uh, Zargas, Zardas, or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go, go forth and kill. Anyway, okay, that's what I wanted to say. And an homage to Zardas is totally a deity in my post apocalyptic campaign. So, <laughs> well done. Just tell me it's not your deity isn't uh, Sean Connery running shirtless. With I had a whole, high boots. I, it wasn't Sean Connery, but there were hundreds of those guys running around giving my players fits. That's well, <laughs> fine, as long as it's not... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> All right, so people uncomfortable. It's an t- attack of the hairy legs. Um. <laughs> I mean, we could... I was thinking more of the flabby chest, but anyway. Ah, for his age. For his age, yeah, but, you know. But he did not need to be wearing that. <laughs> Put a shirt on, man. Uh, you know, you guys are eight years younger than me. You know, the, the 70s had a lot of good, crazy stuff that then went away. I wish it would come back. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it will eventually. No. I'm not going to do it. Fashion always, eventually, those tropes come around again. It's only yeah, a matter of time. Jeans and medallions. Anytime. <sighs> I get so nostalgic for the 70s. The God-given right to not wear... making a comeback. For, for women not to wear a bra or for men to wear Speedos in public. It didn't matter. <laughs> we could cut this whole part out, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably could. Well, you're the edit. You're, you do the edit, so it's up to you in the end. I meant to talk about where some people uh, are sensitive to or uh, misunderstand the difference between little G-gods and big G-gods. You know, in fantasy fiction and Marvel comics, it's all little g gods and deities and they are just a souped up they're like q and star trek they're just a souped up version of human beings 
They may they, yes. they, they may have divine powers compared to you, but it's basically science fiction gods. That's, yeah. That was Jack Kirby's take on it. And and speaking of that, in Victorious, see how I plugged that there? Yeah, very um, nice. I have had uh, some of the players' characters run into what amounts to the Greek and Norse gods, and they find out that really, no, they're just super-powered people. It's just in 3000 BC, they were considered gods. And since they didn't know what they were, well, they must be gods. I can fly through the air and throw lightning bolts. Exactly. Just like Apollo in the Star Trek episode who mourns for Adonis. Aliens. Yep. Yep. The confusion comes in when um, the the two books we're talking about, Gods, Demigods, and Heroes, and Deities and uh, Demigods, both have, uh, in some cases... Uh, D&D stats for deities that are still actively worshipped. Like, you know, there's a whole continent with an appreciable percentage of the human uh, race that still is Hindu. Hindi. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not talking about, like, New Age people who worship Odin now. I'm talking about this has been continuous for thousands of years. And that makes, that actually muddies the waters and gets things a little tricky. Well, it was the 70s, and political correctness wasn't really big either. So, yeah. Well, where it matters is, I mean, it's 2015 today, whether you're playing old school, new school. Where it matters is you, you as a DM know what you're comfortable with and you know what your players are comfortable with. Yeah, I, I tend not to use the real major religions that people are going to get upset at. The closest I've ever done is I have had just a sort of vaguely Catholic churchy with a deity simply called the Almighty. That's mostly because I wanted to have a culture that was very kind of Byzantine in my campaign world. But if I think people are going to feel uncomfortable about that, I don't have them go to that area. But yeah, I don't use the Hindi. Um, I don't. I tend not to use Native American, though I, I think they don't get quite as hung up on it. They don't burn down temples and stuff like they do the in India. I yeah I don't want to get into like actual spirituality on a D and D podcast, but the, no, but, no, of course but, not. But the but the the thing to just for everybody to remember is uh, we're all atheists of ninety nine point nine percent of the deities that were ever worshipped on this planet, and yeah, uh, an actual and, atheist just believes in one less than you do. And in a game where we are killing creatures and even bad guys, you know, we're not really killing people. You're thus and also. By that extension, you're not really worshipping any deity made up or otherwise. It's a game. It's just part of the game trope. and It's play uh, acting. It's play acting, yeah. Um, I don't know why D&D always gets the bullseye for this, too. Because, I mean, there are a million computer games where you play the gods, you know, building up cultures and civilizations. Oh, and nobody, oh yeah. nobody, you know, raises a stinky eye twice at those. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it was because D&D was the first. And D and D, even if it's nowhere near its its zenith, you know, from its height of, of you know, number of players back in the eighties, um, it's the name everybody goes to, and it's the name that you know people freak out about if something weird happens, you know, so and so, and he was, you know, and he played D and D. It's like, really? Well, it's according to this, he was on the high school football team too. So, does that mean we need to ban football? I right, mean, right, right. It, 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 you can't just do that. You've got to prove a real, tangible link. And I don't want to get into that either. I guess what I'm saying is, there is a mechanic in the game 
for the worship of gods in return for abilities, and that is the cleric. Maybe the paladin, if you use the one out of Greyhawk or maybe some of the uh, prestige classes in the Menser sets and onward. I know they weren't called that, but that was kind of what they were effectively. It's really just part of the game mechanic. And yeah, maybe a DM will use a deity. I mean, it, if the DM is going to use the deity as any type of limiter on player action, I would say that would be the way to handle alignment issues if you're going to have them, rather than just a lightning bolt out of nowhere or you're now chaotic evil and you drop a few levels. Have the gods smack them one, you know? Especially if they're a cleric or a paladin. <laughs> it's an unfortunate situation if it even has to come to that. I mean, usually just a good thunder rumble, you know, six levels down into the dungeon is enough of a warning. <laughs> Did you hear that? No, <laughs> you're delusional. Okay, well, any last statements then before we talk about our favorite fictional god? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, random encounters. How many people want to kick some ass? There are, there are seven ogres surrounding you. How could they surround us? I had Morton Titan's magical watchdog cat. No, you didn't. A satanic fungus rises from the forest floor and says, You're playing D&D. You're playing D&D. This whole apartment is playing D&D. Random encounter answers. I used to be Random Encounters. That's so bad when you've done the uh, bumper so often you have them memorized. <laughs> so what exactly is Dragon Flapping Awesome, anyway? It's pretty darn awesome, I think. I guess. I think I pulled that from a clip for a commercial of some, like, not Lego, but Lego-like D&D set from the 90s, early 90s, well, late it's 80s. Sound, it's awesome sounding. That is, that is great. <laughs> you should put that in our commercial or something. <laughs> anyway, Safe yes, sir. dragon flapping awesome. <laughs> yeah! Then we'll get, have to start talking about wrestling. Mm. Anyway, no, no. Or Only if I get to talk about the Von Erics. Huh? Only if I get to talk about the Von Erics. God Only rest their souls. To... <laughs> Only if I get to talk about Glow. Okay. Oh, holy crap, Mike. I just looked at the show notes. I, it's a little late in the episode. Didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you've got... You've got Pick a favorite deity from gods, demigods, and heroes, or non-TSR product. I might have to change mine. Yes? <laughs> well, would you like to start, Liz? While Jim desperately struggles to find an, a, another... A non-TSR product. He's having a crisis of faith over there. Yeah. Okay, well, as I've mentioned many times before, back when I used the, the Holmes Basic, um, I picked up two of the little brown books as two separate products from the same hobby shop that I bought my Holmes box set. One of those was Gods, Demigods, and Heroes. And so that was what I used as the basis for any god activity that was going on with my game. And my big favorite of the time was from the Celtic Mythos, and I always went to Ogma, the God of Knowledge. He he was he was my my big one. You know, it says there that Dagda was the, you know, the the head of the gods. I didn't use the entire mythos. I just kind of chose some at you know random. But Agma was my big main you know king 
you know, the gods figure for when I did stuff. So he was my big favorite. And probably because I just like the idea of, you know, a god should be wise as well as powerful. And he was the god of knowledge. And, you know, he knew everything. <laughs> I know more than you do. That's right. Yeah. It's Dr. That's- Science. Something I maybe should have an- should have mentioned in DM Fiat, but yeah, when I was young and you know in my teens and twenties, usually whenever it came time for a character, you know, we were playing Greyhawk or a homebrew campaign. It didn't matter, you know. It's like need a god. Okay, here, boom. Here's gods, demigods, and heroes, or here's deities and demigods. Pick, you know, just go through there and find a god you like. But as I've gotten older and I've developed my own campaign world. I've limited the number of deities because I just it, it, it that some of the the deity fields can get kind of weird. I mean, demigods I can see as one thing, but I usually like to keep a handful. Like you were saying about the Celtic, you know, I only used a few of those myself. Well, standard pantheon has twelve. Yeah. So if you go over that, you're you're, you're overthinking it. You're overthinking it. Still looking. Oh, no, no. I was enjoying the warm glow of this <laughs> yeah. visual I have of little 12-year-old Elizabeth Galliano um, <laughs> bent over <laughs> this D&D supplement studying up on Celtic gods. I think that's adorable. <laughs> that's that's the part nobody ever says about that. That's D&D. dragon flapping. Awesome. That's right. D&D will teach you math. It'll teach you um, oh, gosh, yes. word It'll- use and vocabulary. It'll get you in the library looking up you know books. Yep. It did, too. I mean... I had no idea what the word Dwayomer was before I got my, you know, AD&D books and stuff, you know, and it's like, I, I, I looked up a lot of words playing Dungeons and Dragons, and it, it was great. I, I, think it's, I think it's a shame that some games now try to... Get away from dare, all that learning. Well, dare I say, dumb themselves down. You know, it did not... It didn't bother me that I didn't understand everything that I read. It just made me go get a dictionary and look things up because I wanted to know. On the other hand, you know, I also realized that if you want to sell the most copies of something, you need to make it accessible to the most amount of people. So, I mean, my personal opinion and you know, marketing 101 just sort of clash horns <laughs> with some of this is like, ah, oh, I know this is a bad idea from a business standpoint, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to read books that are over your head. I do it all the time. I read physics books and I figure if I'm a, I'm a fine arts major, I figure if I only get 10 or 15%, that's 10 or 15% more than I had. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, I read I, my student papers, which <laughs> causes you to lose IQ points. Speaking of calling to your God, um, yes. What's yours, Jim? I'm sorry, we, we're tangenting pretty good now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to further that by cheating and, and giving you two because I had the one I had picked, but it wasn't really a favorite deity. It was my favorite favorite pain in the ass deity. My brother had Ariok running around in his universe, and because Midas the Mad, my long-term uh, magic user was on paper he was chaotic neutral but I was 19 years old so he leaned or he, on paper he was chaotic good rather 
But he leaned more towards chaotic neutral because I was a teenager and ran amok all the time. So yeah, my brother evil tendencies. So <laughs> speaking to the issue of can deities be the DM's hammer? My brother, who didn't know I'd read the Elric books, but he had. Uh, had Ariok start chasing me around, and it would just be at the oddest times in the bottom of a dungeon, way out, you know, on, <laughs> out in the middle of some adventure. A little child, a mysterious, beautiful child who glowed a little, would pop up and start offering me favors, and I was onto it and kept turning him down. So Ow. that go away. <laughs> so for D and D, it was Ariok. But uh, after I saw the non-TSR uh, product thing, I do actually have a favorite. Uh, DD patron in Dungeon Crawl Classics, and it is without question uh, the king of Elfland. He's uh, sort of uh, let me try and remember my Shakespeare. Not Titania. Who's the who's Oberon? The, Oberon, sort of DCC's version of Oberon, and uh, the Earl King. Okay. And uh, for people who play DCC, I mean the uh, having the king of Elfland for a patron is a great backdoor because. Uh, he's got a spell that he'll give his wizards and clerics that lets you step back in time 1d6 rounds if you get a high enough spell check. And that's a TPK preventer right there. I, I, I broke an adventure, a playtest adventure. Joe Bittman was running at Gen Con. This is not Job's version of the story, obviously. He tells it differently. <laughs> but we got in over our heads thanks to some uh, party stupidity, and we're about to be wiped. And I had an elf with ventriloquism, rope work, and invoke patron. And I'm like... Do I get to pick the patron? He's like, sure. So I picked Mr. King of Elfland, and half of us were out of there. The other half wanted to. The other half came back in time and decided, we know what's going to happen now, and ran right back in to get TPK to second time. Oh. So now we can avoid those mistakes. Yeah, and make it even bigger ones. So that's a good DD to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, if you had read all the Harry Dresdens, that wouldn't have been a surprise to you, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. All right. Well, How about you, Mike? Well, ah, uh, as it is, I, 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 this was a bit of a tough one because there's the one I tend to use the most, at least in my campaign world, which tends to be depending on where in the world it's either Meliki or the Almighty, or there's the one that's my just favorite, and that's got to be Isaac of the Jug. Again, for you Lankmar fans out there. Partially because he's one of just about the only known god that actually gives a damn about people trying to help them, particularly torture people being tortured or harmed. <laughs> but Lieber introduced him as what amounted to a fake god that Fawford got tied up and basically made up to look like and get, got drunk and ran through the streets beating up people who were trying to torture these people so they thought torture him so they thought oh my god the god is real da 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 and then later on in stories he is now real he <laughs> is with in the land of the gods talking with the other gods watching Favre and the great mauser going around doing stuff and i thought that was great because it was so did they create him yeah <laughs> did not exist before that story and then after that story, which obviously, as the reader, you know it wasn't really the deity. It was just Fawford running around with no hair. <laughs> but, but impressive enough to create a body of worshippers, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And thus, now there's a god. So I, I, I thought that whole idea was great. Well chosen, sir. So, so that's my choice. I haven't read those books in 30 years. I need to go back and read them again. Oh, yeah. Especially if you 
Because odds are Joe Goodman's going to give you an assignment on them. No, no, no. That's all Michael Curtis. I'm, I'm, ah, I'm, I'm Metamorphosis Alpha Boy. Well, you tell Michael Curtis not to use up too much of his energy on that stuff because he's still got to get that uh, Rapture's Voyage adventure ready for next year's North Texas. Mike That's is, right. We're counting on him. Mike and I get along because we're both so OCD, OCD as hell. Um, he reread the entirety of Lankmar. Uh, books three times before he put pen to paper on the first adventure that's a lot of reading holy crap on a crack <laughs> i thought i was no i i am i bow to the might of your ocd foo mr <laughs> curtis wow that's like what 14 books you know what if you're put in charge of the line and you want to get everything right and keep the license i guess that's what you do mike's a hard worker why? I'm sure that the Lankmer fandom would be most vivid <laughs> if he made the occasional error in any supplements that got published. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> you're hilarious, Mike. Which is even funnier because I'm the guy that's usually in the movies nitpicking the history. Mm-hmm. That's not what a hedge wizard does. I know. <laughs> oh, come on. They, nobody used the Bilgis arm till the 15th century. What is he doing with that? And that's not a, that's not a Ransour. That's a Becta Corbin. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I'm trying to watch the movie. And on that tragic, awkward note, thank gods we're at the dusty road headed down the trail of the 1970s. <laughs> And how are we heading down this dusty 70s road, Jim? Uh, like I'm serving on the Battlestar Galactica because I love seeing God's damn it. Because there's no, <laughs> nothing sacrilegious about that as long as you make it plural with little well, g. How do you say little g, though? That's the. I just did. Didn't you hear me? No, I didn't. <laughs> God's damn it. Uh, got a disability. I can't understand lowercase letters. Anyway, over to you, Liz. Okay, well, I'm going down that road. I'm hanging out with Agma, the god of knowledge, and he's telling me the secret names of all of the people and creatures that we run across as we're leaving. And you're giggling. Yes. (laughs) Really? That's his name? Seriously? (laughs) Oh, his true name. Now I can throw a spell. (laughs) And embarrass him at the same time. I'm riding my bicycle as a good... Cthulhu's Witness and getting ready to pass out uh, copies of Dark Dungeons and Darker Dungeons and even Darker Dungeons and the Darkest Dungeons. And we'll see you guys next episode of Save or Die. Bye-bye. See ya. Free arc. And we're gone. Woohoo. So gone. <laughs> we're so very, very gone. It's a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Savor Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.Bandcamp.com. All gods, demigods, and heroes appearing in tonight's episode were entirely fictitious, and any resemblance to real gods, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. <laughs> Woohoo!
Yeah, and I told him, yeah, just remember, you too can make hundreds yeah, of dollars a year. <laughs> bask in the fame and publicity and power. Well, I can see I'm not the only one that's properly caffeinated. <laughs> uh, oh, enjoy that. Perhaps that's gonna be this improperly biggest, caffeinated. Biggest burst of energy I'm going to have to. <laughs> I saved it up for that one.